Section 1 of Chapter 22 of A History of England. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Richard Carpenter. History of England by Thomas Babington Macaulay. Chapter 22, Section 1. On the 7th of May, 1696, William landed in Holland. Thence he proceeded to Flanders, and took command of the Allied forces, which were collected in the neighborhood of Ghent. Villeroy and Boufleur were already in the field. All Europe waited impatiently for great news from the Netherlands, but waited in vain. No aggressive movement was made. The object of the generals on both sides was to keep their troops from dying of hunger, and it was an object by no means easily attained. The treasuries both of France and England were empty. Lewis had, during the winter, created with great difficulty and expense a gigantic magazine at Givet on the frontier of his kingdom. The buildings were commodious and of vast extent. The quantity of provender laid up in them for horses was immense. The number of rations for men was commonly estimated at from three to four millions. But early in the spring, Athlone and Cohorn had, by a bold and dexterous move, surprised Givet, and had utterly destroyed both storehouses and stores. France, already fainting from exhaustion, was in no condition to repair such a loss. Sieges such as those of Mons and Namur were operations too costly for her means. The business of her army now was not to conquer, but to subsist the army of william was reduced to straits not less painful the material wealth of england indeed had not been very seriously impaired by the drain which the war had caused but she was suffering severely from the defective state of that instrument by which her material wealth was distributed saturday the second of may had been fixed by parliament as the last day on which the clipped crowns half-crowns and shillings were to be received by tail in payment of taxes the exchequer was besieged from dawn till midnight by an immense multitude it was necessary to call in the guards for the purpose of keeping order on the following monday began a cruel agony of a few months which was destined to be succeeded by many years of almost unbroken prosperity most of the old silver had vanished the new silver had scarcely made its appearance about four million sterling in ingots and hammered coin were lying in the vaults of the exchequer and the milled money as yet came forth very slowly from the mint alarmists predicted that the wealthiest and most enlightened kingdom in europe would be reduced to the state of those barbarous societies in which a mat is bought with a hatchet and a pair of moccasins with a piece of venison there were indeed some hammered pieces which had escaped mutilation and sixpences not clipped within the innermost ring were still current this old money and the new money together made up a scanty stock of silver which with the help of gold was to carry the nation through the summer the manufacturers generally contrived though with extreme difficulty to pay their workmen in coin the upper classes seem to have lived to a great extent on credit even an opulent man seldom had the means of discharging the weekly bills of his baker and butcher a promissory note however subscribed by such a man was readily taken in the district where his means and character were well known 
the notes of the wealthy money-changers of Lombard Street circulated widely. The paper of the Bank of England did much service, and would have done more, but for the unhappy air into which the Parliament had recently been led by Harley and Foley. The confidence which the public had felt in that powerful and opulent company had been shaken by the act which established the land bank. It might well be doubted whether there would be room for the two rival institutions, and of the two the younger seemed to be the favorite of the government and of the legislature. The stock of the Bank of England had gone rapidly down from a hundred and ten to eighty-three. Meanwhile the goldsmiths, who had from the first been hostile to the great corporation, were plotting against it. They collected its paper from every quarter, and on the 4th of May, when the exchequer had just swallowed up most of the old money, and when scarcely any of the new money had been issued, they flocked to Grocer's Hall and insisted on immediate payment. A single goldsmith demanded thirty thousand pounds. The directors in this extremity acted wisely and firmly. They refused to cash the notes which had been thus maliciously presented, and left the holders to seek a remedy in Westminster Hall. Other creditors who came in good faith to ask for their due were paid. The conspirators affected to triumph over the powerful body which they hated and dreaded. The bank which had recently begun to exist under such splendid auspices, which had seemed destined to make a revolution in commerce and in finance, which had been the boast of London and the envy of Amsterdam, was already insolvent, ruined, dishonored. Wretched pasquinades were published, the trial of the land bank for murdering the Bank of England, the last will and testament of the Bank of England, the epitaph of the Bank of England, the inquest of the Bank of England. But in spite of all this clamor and all this wit, the correspondence of the States General reported that the Bank of England had not really suffered in the public esteem, and that the conduct of the goldsmiths was generally condemned. The directors soon found it impossible to procure silver enough to meet every claim which was made on them in good faith. They then bethought them to a new expedient. They made a call of twenty per cent on the proprietors, and thus raised a sum which enabled them to give every applicant fifteen per cent in milled money on what was due to him. They returned him his note after making a minute upon it that part had been paid. A few notes thus marked are still preserved among the archives of the bank as memorials of that terrible year. The paper of the corporation continued to circulate, but the value fluctuated violently from day to day, and indeed from hour to hour, for the public mind was in so excitable a state that the most absurd lie which a stock-jobber could invent sufficed to send the price up or down. At one time the discount was only six per cent, at another time twenty-four per cent. A ten-pound note, which had been taken in the morning as worth more than nine pounds, was often worth less than eight pounds before night. Another, and at that conjuncture a more effectual substitute for a metallic currency, owed its existence to the ingenuity of Charles Montagu. He had succeeded in engrafting on Harley's land bank bill a clause which empowered the government to issue negotiable paper bearing interest at the rate of threepence a day on a hundred pounds. In the midst of the general distress and confusion appeared the first exchequer bills, drawn for various amounts from a hundred pounds down to five pounds. 
these instruments were rapidly distributed over the kingdom by the post and were everywhere welcome the jacobites talked violently against them in every coffee-house and wrote much detestable verse against them but to little purpose the success of the plan was such that the ministers at one time resolved to issue twenty shilling bills and even fifteen shilling bills for the payment of the troops but it does not appear that this resolution was carried into effect it is difficult to imagine how without the exchequer bills the government of the country could have been carried on during that year every source of revenue had been affected by the state of the currency and one source on which the parliament had confidently reckoned for the means of defraying more than half the charge of the war had yielded not a single farthing the sum expected from the land bank was near two million six hundred thousand pounds of this sum one half was to be subscribed and one quarter paid up by the first of august the king just before his departure had signed a warrant appointing certain commissioners among whom harley and foley were the most eminent to receive the names of the contributors a great meeting of persons interested in the scheme was held in the hall of the middle temple one office was opened at exeter change another at mercer's hall forty agents went down into the country and announced to the landed gentry on every shire the approach of the golden age of high rents and low interest the council of regency in order to set an example to the nation put down the king's name for five thousand pounds and the newspapers assured the world that the subscription would speedily be filled but when three weeks had passed away it was found that only fifteen hundred pounds had been added to the five thousand contributed by the king many wondered at this yet there was little cause for wonder the sum which the friends of the project had undertaken to raise was a sum which only the enemies of the project could furnish the country gentlemen wished well to harley's scheme but they wished well to it because they wanted to borrow money on easy terms and wanting to borrow money they were of course not able to lend it the money class alone could supply what was necessary to the existence of the land bank and the land bank was avowedly intended to diminish the profits to destroy the political influence and to lower the social position of the moneyed class as the users did not choose to take on themselves the expense of putting down usury the whole plan failed in a manner which if the aspect of public affairs had been less alarming would have been exquisitely ludicrous the day drew near the neatly ruled pages of the subscription book at mercer's hall were still blank the commissioners stood aghast in their distress they applied to the government for indulgence many great capitalists they said were desirous to subscribe but stood aloof because the terms were too hard there ought to be some relaxation would the council of regency consent to an abatement of three hundred thousand pounds the finances were in such a state and the letters in which the king represented his wants were so urgent that the council of regency hesitated the commissioners were asked whether they would engage to raise the whole sum with this abatement their answer was unsatisfactory they did not venture to say they could command more than eight hundred thousand pounds the negotiation was therefore broken off the first of august came and the whole amount contributed by the whole nation to the magnificent undertaking from which so much had been expected 
was two thousand one hundred pounds just at this juncture portland arrived from the continent he had been sent by william with charge to obtain money at whatever cost and from whatever quarter the king had strained his private credit in holland to procure bread for his army but all was insufficient he wrote to his ministers that unless they could send him a speedy supply his troops would either rise in mutiny or desert by thousands he knew he said that it would be hazardous to call parliament together during his absence but if no other resource could be devised that hazard must be run the council of regency in extreme embarrassment began to wish that the terms hard as they were which had been offered by the commissioners at mercer's hall had been accepted the negotiation was renewed shrewsbury godolphin and portland as agents for the king had several conferences with harley and foley who had recently pretended that eight hundred thousand pounds were ready to be subscribed to the land bank the ministers gave assurances that if at this conjuncture even half that sum were advanced those who had done this service to the state should in the next session be incorporated as a national land bank harley and foley at first promised with an air of confidence to raise what was required but they soon went back on their word they showed a great inclination to be punctilious and quarrelsome about trifles at length the eight hundred thousand pounds dwindled to forty thousand and even the forty thousand could be had only on hard conditions so ended the great delusion of the land bank the commission expired and the offices were closed and now the council of regency almost in despair had recourse to the bank of england two hundred thousand pounds was the very smallest sum which would suffice to meet the king's most pressing wants would the bank of england advance that sum the capitalists who led the chief sway in that corporation were in bad humour and not without reason but fair words earnest entreaties and large promises were not spared all the influence of montague which was justly great was exerted the directors promised to do their best but they apprehended that it would be impossible for them to raise the money without making a second call of twenty per cent on their constituents it was necessary that the question should be submitted to a general court in such a court more than six hundred persons were entitled to vote and the result might well be doubted the proprietors were summoned to meet on the fifteenth of august at grocer's hall during the painful interval of suspense shrewsbury wrote to his master in language more tragic than is often found in official letters if this should not succeed god knows what can be done anything must be tried and ventured rather than lie down and die on the fifteenth of august a great epoch in the history of the bank the general court was held in the chair sate sir john hublin the governor who was also lord mayor of london and what would in our time be thought strange a commissioner of the admiralty sir john in a speech every word which had been written and had been carefully considered by the directors explained the case and implored the assembly to stand by king william there was at first a little murmuring if our notes would do it was said we should be most willing to assist his majesty but two hundred thousand pounds in hard money at a time like this the governor announced explicitly that nothing but gold or silver would supply the necessities of the army in flanders at length the question was put to the vote and every hand in the hall was held up for sending the money 
the letters from the dutch embassy informed the states general that the events of that day had bound the bank and the government together in close alliance and that several of the ministers had immediately after the meeting purchased stock merely in order to give a pledge of their attachment to the body which had rendered so great a service to the state meanwhile strenuous exertions were making to hasten the recoinage since the restoration the mint had like every other public establishment in the kingdom been a nest of idlers and jobbers the important office of warden worth between six and seven hundred a year had become a mere sinecure and had been filled by a succession of fine gentlemen who were well known at the hazard table of whitehall but who never condescended to come near the tower this office had just become vacant and montague had obtained it for newton the ability the industry and the strict uprightness of the great philosopher speedily produced a complete revolution throughout the department which was under his direction he devoted himself to his task with an activity which left no time to spare for those pursuits in which he had surpassed archimedes and galileo till the great work was completely done he resisted firmly and almost angrily every attempt that was made by men of science here or on the continent to draw him away from his official duties the old officers of the mint had thought it a great feat to coin silver to the amount of fifteen thousand pounds in a week when montague talked of thirty or forty thousand these men of form and precedent pronounced the thing impracticable but the energy of the young chancellor of the exchequer and of his friend the warden accomplished far greater wonders soon nineteen mills were going at once in the tower as fast as men could be trained to work in london bands of them were sent off to other parts of the kingdom mints were established at bristol york exeter norwich and chester this arrangement was in the highest degree popular the machinery and the workmen were welcomed to the new stations with ringing of bells and the firing of guns the weekly issue increased to sixty thousand pounds to eighty thousand to a hundred thousand and at length to a hundred and twenty thousand yet even this issue though great not only beyond precedent but beyond hope was scanty when compared with the demands of the nation nor did all the newly stamped silver pass into circulation for during the summer and autumn those politicians who were for raising the denomination of the coin were active and clamorous and it was generally expected that as soon as the parliament should reassemble the standard would be lowered of course no person who thought it probable that he should at a day not far distant be able to pay a debt of a pound with three crown pieces instead of four was willing to part with a crown piece till that day arrived most of the milled pieces were therefore hoarded may june and july passed away without any perceptible increase in the quantity of good money it was not till august that the keenest observer could discern the first faint signs of returning prosperity end of section one recording by richard carpenter in seattle washington